Come on to my house, my house, I'm gonna give you candy. Come on to my house, my house, I'm gonna give you apple plum. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And here we are live you. on the Hot Stove Society Happy Show on Cairo Radio. Tom Chef Tom Douglas and on the Happy microphone, birthday Chef in the Chapeau, Chef Thierry Rotero. Yay! Thank you very much for that. Happy Six, birthday, Tommy. 65 years young uh, today or yesterday now. Oh, you qualify for Medicare now. I know. The, <laughs> the real question is, you know, they try and ask you if you're going to take it or not, right? I'm taking it. I'm a big Heck dude. Yes. I could fall over any minute. Yeah, I'm taking it. God forbid. Welcome to the show. We're here at the beautiful Hotel Andre in downtown Seattle, and we're happy that you've joined us, whether you're in your garden or your kitchen or in your car or wherever you happen to be or how you happen to consume our show. You know, a lot of people listen to it live, but other people podcast it or they exactly. watch us on youtube or you know, there's a lot of ways to take in our show that we're we're thankful that people choose to do uh, the if best you go to youtube just make sure you subscribe it doesn't cost you a penny yeah. but it does help uh, us on our side of things to have more subscribers one of the most famous one is when you're in the kitchen cooking away and listening to two guys like us talking about food and you know we're going to talk a lot today because our guests canceled on me so um you and i are going to be talking a lot about food today if that's sure. your favorite style of segment and we hear both on our show we yeah. hear that people like the guests but also that people like us to talk about food because you know you and i come from food two different food backgrounds you're a classically trained apprentice french a big to do kind of chef and i'm just a shuffling seat of the pants kind of guy just trying to make a living but we have two things in common what's that we love to drink and we love to eat <laughs> That's that why we good. love to cook. Exactly. If you want a good meal, usually you make it yourself. It's usually a good start. <laughs> so much Some people in the audience are like, not if I do it. Not if I do it. Uh, we're going to talk about stone fruit salad today. Uh, I saw a picture of a beautiful stone fruit salad. I was inspired to kind of talk about it because I think salads sometimes suffer from uh, overitis, if you know what I mean. Like everyone, you want to put like greens and olives and hazelnuts and you know so many different things in making a big salad and i love that kind of chopped salad kind of territory but i want to focus on stone fruit themselves because we are in the thick of it right now just picked the last of our apricots almost a thousand pounds of apricots off of one tree oh i love apricots and uh, we're just picking our first peaches all the cherries are done so i mean we we are in the thick of it so let's talk a little bit about that zucchini fries i was reading the washington post and uh, Ellie Krieger had an article about. I can't of, wait to hear what you think about zucchini fries. And you know, zucchini is not my favorite thing, but my mother-in-law used to make this kind of. Uh, she would saute. I can't believe I'm talking about her cooking. Dot would be so proud right now because she was the kind of lady that when I first met her that would open a can of green beans and then cook them for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> but make sure they're dead. She completely changed her too, and as did my mother in, in their life. They. You know, they kind of grew up with the canned vegetable or the frozen vegetable thing, and then they just went fresh. Yeah. And she became a, a, a vegetable gardener, and she just went fresh. So we're going to talk about um, Parmesan fries, because my mother-in-law, Dot, Rodothea, by the way, the middle name of one of my new grandchildren, Loretta, had her babies last week, uh, two tw- uh, twins, Adonis and Athena. Yeah. And their real names are? That's, that's not for here to discuss. <laughs> Uh, Hercules is very thrilled to have a brother and a sister. I know, that's Rory. Um, Molly Anderson's going to jump over from uh, 
the bakery, the Dahlia Bakery, and talk about that. You know, I had that mochi, cherry mochi donut last week, and I took a bite. I was like, wow, this is my favorite of the mochi donuts that I've had in the last year, I bet. And, she, you know, they're always making new oh, versions. Oh, I need to try that. That's, yeah, it that's was cool. super delicious. We're going to hear how she did that. Favorite knives. Do you have a favorite knife outside of the chef knife? Because everyone needs a chef knife. I have a, my favorite brand is Sharp. Don't, 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 don't. Your favorite brand is Sharp. Yes. Don't give away the secret, though. That's going to come up next. Our partner's Charlie's Produce, who uh, you and I both use. I use them still. You used to always use them in your restaurants. Uh, we're going to cultivate fresh. It's hatch chili time. Uh-huh. We're picking Anaheim's as we speak over in Prosser. Those are the nicest ones I like because they're not too crazy. Which uh, ones? Anaheim. The Anaheim. Yeah. But the hatch chilies are in Anaheim, too, and they can be crazy. Yeah, those are. They so can it depends get on which ones you get, I guess. Elevate your coleslaw. I happen to think the coleslaw at Seatown Restaurant is the best coleslaw in the city. I talked about it a little bit last week um, on the show. Right. Remember, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about why or what makes a good slaw to us, at least. I agree, uh, because I think people have this preconceived notion that they, they see it in the deli department of the grocery store, and it's just this thick, slimy, kind of mayonnaise slaw, which has its place. Right. I'm a personal, I, I love the Kentucky Fried Chicken slaw. You know what? I, Just I don't recall, but I'm, yes. I'm not. I'm not too proud to say that out loud. Of course, <laughs> we're going to have our food for thought uh, tasty trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. First, Please. Chef, what's your taste of the week? My taste of the week is I went to uh, Cafe Lago. I revisited Cafe Lago. God, I almost went there the other night. That's so funny. Maybe you would have been there. And I went with Carla. I was with Carla. Oh, really? Yeah, we, we talked. We sat down and with Cafe, and we had a wonderful dinner, specifically the ravioli filled with. Ricotta and Parmesan, I mean, uh, ricotta and uh, mozzarella uh-huh. and um, sprinkled Parmesan on top, very simply done with bechamel, a little bechamel, like little pillows, you know, it uh-huh. was like so beautiful and delicate. And I, I just want to mention because this restaurant opened in 1990. Most of you were not even around at that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my kid well, our was, listeners were. My oldest kid was born <laughs> in 1990. You know, it's a long run and just like, just like all of us, you know, they've yeah. been around forever. And uh, it's just a, a very beautiful neighborhood spot that doesn't change, doesn't age. You know, you go there for the familiarity of it, and, you know, they still have that wonderful lasagna that's absolutely light and fluffy and right. gorgeous. And that's my favorite thing to order there. I have the oh, lasagna. Yeah. And they do a great pizza. You know, they have a wonderful pizza. And I, I, just, I just think it's, it's worth reviving those, the name of those restaurants because they get kind of passed around and forgotten eventually. Yeah, it's the new... We know about that. We, yeah. we had old restaurants. True. I still have old restaurants that yeah. people, you know, they've been there once 30 years ago, and now they're just... Right. Yeah. Okay, my taste of the week was I had a little birthday supper, late supper last night, just Jackie and I, at uh, La Cabana, which is a little restaurant, a kind of a Central American-Mexican combination restaurant on 105th, um, right by the Rickshaw. One of my favorite oh, yeah. uh, oh, wow. uh, dive bars is the Rickshaw. And so I uh, had a quick little supper there. What a treat that little place is. Uh, just full of different families. Uh, nobody looks like me, I can tell you that. Uh, and uh, it was, it's, a, it's a lovely little opportunity to get a taste of Central America right here in our own city. So that's my taste of the week. Very nice. La Cabana. Up next, it's Stone Fruit Salad on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I don't like chocolate cake like others do, or lemon drops, or peppermint chew, or little cakes, or sugar lumps. No, no, no. No candy bars, or whipping cream, no lollipops, or tangerines. 
We love to cook with stone fruit. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rocher, the chef in a hat. You know, chef, uh, we've added, since Pamela uh, ditched us for her. By the way, some people are super sad about that, and uh, there's nobody sadder about that than me. Right. <laughs> what I'm most happy about with Pamela, our former producer, is she found the job that she really wanted, and uh, she's no spring chicken. It's, it's likely to be her last job that uh, lasts the next five years or ten or whatever, and uh, she desperately wanted to do something for the people of the world. And so she's the executive director now of the Pike Place Market Senior Center and Food Bank. And so for those of you who are sad about Pamela leaving our show, do what I did. Write a check. Exactly. Go support her cause at the Pike Place Market Senior Center or Food Bank. And uh, they always, always, always need money, you know. So Absolutely. That's just, There's never where, enough. That just came because she sent me the most lovely birthday card yesterday. So oh. it was um, made me think about her again today. Stone fruit, chef. We often think about it as cobblers, right? Peach pie. All sorts of ways we talk about stone fruit. Well, we think about fruit. sweet first, usually. but Yeah, so um, that's cherries, apricots, peaches. We're picking them all right now. Uh, I think I said in the open, we're just finishing picking our one apricot tree. And we just hit a thousand pounds of apricots Maybe off our one I'm gonna buy some apricot from you. tree. Well, they're all me- being made into jam right now for the deserted palace and for breakfast here at Lola. The weird thing about it is, last year we got six apricots off that same tree. Six each. Six each because oh, yeah, we had a late frost that took out all the blossoms, and we got nothing, virtually nothing. And this year we have a thousand pounds. Same thing happened to the cherry crop this year, right? Just cherries everywhere. seems to everywhere. be a good year for a lot of things, yeah. like matsutakis are everywhere, and, or early in abundance. Yeah. So. so let's take stone fruit out of its normal environment, which is dessert, maybe a little tart of some sort, and let's put it into a savory salad, a stone fruit salad. You have any so, thoughts on that? Yes, plenty. I'm not a big well, I fan. I think of it as something that you used fan. to do at Rover's quite yeah, a bit. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a big fan of sweet salads, but I'm a big fan of making something sweet into a sour stage or covering it with vinegar or acids. Or balancing it. Yeah, yeah balancing yeah. it or spice. You know, it's very important. Spice is a very good tool in the case of wanting to change the face of something that's very sweet. I think that's, you know, acids and, and spice, like a little bit of chili and lime can go a very long way in changing something very sweet like a peach. You know, if you just put a little bit of that on top of a peach, you get a completely transformed peach. Crack some uh, toasted walnut on top of that, and you've got a little bit of tarragon, and you've got a wonderful salad on your hand. Mm-hmm. You want to get fancy, you put a little ricotta cheese or some goat cheese. What do you mean you want to get fancy? You just got fancy. <laughs> oh, that was fancy? Oh, well, never mind. I'm stopping there. <laughs> well, I think that's, a, that's an opportunity, certainly. Uh, but mixing them is an opportunity. So you have some nectarines. You've got some pitted cherries. Right. You've got some uh, apricots, and you can do different bits and bobs with that, or you can make one little dressing out of, say, a rice vinegar and mirin and yeah. this and that. But or you could also just change that salad completely. Let's say you have a nice peach half or an apricot half. Peaches, unlike apricots, when you cook an apricot on the grill, it gets a little bit sour. That's yeah. just the nature of it. Right. Uh, peaches stay sweet and they caramelize more. But So if you've got a peach half and you're looking up at your spice shelf and you've got some Chinese five spice there or you've got my uh, Chinese 12 spice here out of my product oh, line. Oh, the taco rub. Yeah, it's a little bit different than where I'm headed, but 
so they have cardamom, clove. Uh, oh yeah, you know, just kind of those warm spices. Just sprinkle that on your peach, and then char it on the applewood grill. You forget what a difference a char makes on those kind of spices. Sure. We just don't do it, right? We end up mulling wine or we do something really um, kind of warm and soft with it. Right. But you can really add a texture to your fruit by charring it on to your, uh, your peach half, yeah, right? Yeah, and then yeah, that yeah. becomes the star of your salad. And next thing you know, you've got a, you know, a mixture of that with right. other textures into your salad. So. You can take a few cherries, you know, ripe bing cherries, and uh, blend them and juice them, add Dijon mustard and a little bit of vinegar, and you'll have a wonderful cherry dressing on your hand. Vinaigrette. Like a vinaigrette. Yeah. And you can use that on so many different things, including if you take, for example, again, peaches or nectarine, and you grill them face, face down one side, give it a nice little grill, take them off the grill, slice them, put them in a, in a, in a salad combo where you put that cherry vinegar mustard dressing on top of that and that will be a nice combination great way to use two different fruit so that's another way to uh-huh. use that apricots is another one that's really good baked with um, cheese so half uh, apricots then you take a little bit of olive oil goat cheese nuts and you put that in the oven and you bake it and it comes out it's those little beautiful bites and you put that on a piece of grilled olive oil toast mm, nice mm. little appetizer there's so many ways you could add proteins to this and make a dinner salad out sure. of it, right? So one of the, my favorite dishes at uh, a Japanese restaurant would be agadashi tofu. Mm-hmm. And it's just the deep fried tofu. It's got the shaved bonito on top. And it's got a broth, basically a really simple, a typical broth made with dashi or, or something of that right. nature. Adding your stone fruits to the agadashi tofu would be a great way to oh, kind yeah. of make yourself an entree salad. Uh, and you can serve it room temperature. You can serve it a little bit warm. I prefer room temperature. There's a lot of food that people forget you can eat cold, like cold right. soba noodles, right, or, or cold tofu. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be hot, no. right? So, uh, and then it just needs to be flavorful. Big flakes of uh, bonito on top, the shaved tuna, dried tuna, or the botarga, the shaved tuna roe, right. uh, is really a, a great essence on top of any sort of salad like that. So. Um, peach and watermelon, that goes very well together as well, with a little feta cheese, a little uh, prosciutto, if you want to take prosciutto and, and peaches, it goes also really well together. It's a great match for an appetizer uh-huh. salad, you know, and you just mix that with a little few crostini. You know, so would you, how would you add the prosciutto to that? Did you have peach and watermelon salad with feta? And then how would you add the prosciutto? A julienne, a julienne, would, I, would, I would julienne the prosciutto. I would not so it's sliced thin and then julienne the crosswise? Correct. Yeah, uh-huh. just, just cut it into matchstick size uh-huh. and then sprinkle it all over your salad. So it's going to give... So the feta, don't forget, feta is very salty. And prosciutto is not exactly unsalted either. So those two items are pretty salty. So you get your peaches. And I would do a little sprinkle of a great olive oil, cracked pepper, Give it that little uh, that's spice. Kind of, yeah, that's the kind of place where you use that delicious Super good olive oil. Olive oil, yeah. That's when you use that. And the beautiful uh, Malden Flake salt, you know, yeah. where it adds a kind of a crunchy texture to your soft fruits. And a little bit of either oregano, just very, very finely chopped, and just a little fruit sprinkle, or cumin. If you have fresh ground cumin, you just sprinkle a little bit on top. It's really delicious. 
So do you, uh, I know I, if I was to use cumin in that way, I would always toast it first. Do you uh, toast it? No, this is. It brings out the oil and the, and the right. essence of no, it. No, I would just do ground. I would do Yeah, ground. I understand. But if you toast the seeds and then grind them. Sure, sure. Uh, that's another layer water. of flavor. I mean, that's yeah. another way to do it. I was thinking of something. Oh, tomato. Tomatoes are in full season as well. And tomato and peaches or tomatoes and cherries, that goes very well together as well. You can use those two. You can pickle one. If you pickle your cherries or your peaches, and then you put that on top of your tomatoes, and that creates that balance again of like, you know, sweet uh, kind of, kind of the, the tomato is very delicate and watery. But acidic. Yeah, and then yeah. acidic, yeah. yeah. And then you mix that with your um, pickled peaches. This is the time, it really is, that we get this, like, this question often, when should I buy the good olive oil? When should I buy the fancy vinegar? This is the time. Oh, yeah. When you're not cooking it, you're just garnishing with it generally and it's not because it's expensive and you can't use it only once every six months you have to remember why you bought it because it's the best one on the market so just use it you know raw finishing it's a finishing oil but use it so it doesn't go rancid on you that's what i'm going to say is now's the time to use it and use the whole thing yeah yeah because I you mean, don't want it in january's no, the same use bottle it within, of olive oil use it within the next two months you know, you're going to spend 20 bucks on a small bottle of olive oil that's super delicious. Use it. All right. Uh, believe it or not, Chef, you know how I feel about zucchini. We're going to have a whole segment on zucchini mm. fries. On Can't Cairo wait. Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Moving to the country, going to eat a lot of peaches. Zucchini, that's what we are, zucchini. Happy to be zucchini. That's what we are, zucchini. Well, welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Chef, you can't hear her, but I've got Jackie on the line on my headphones. Hello, Jackie. And neither can our audience. I'm sorry about that. Hello, Terry. I just thought since I was building up how I learned to tolerate zucchini it was actually through my mother-in-law jackie's mom uh, dot uh and um jackie tell us for a second how dot made her zucchini because you still make it uh today right you love that recipe yeah i like the way that she did it so she would cut zucchini into maybe three quarter to an inch size chunks you know just uh Discs. She would toss them in flour that had heavily with salt and pepper and then put them into a oven-safe fry pan with small oil and, like, brown them really nice on one side so they get just a little bit crispy. Flip them over, get them a little bit crispy on that side, and then she would pile on Parmesan cheese and another dusting of pepper and pop them in the oven, probably, I would say, a 400 degree oven you just want to get that cheese nice and melty and uh crisp crusty yeah exactly yeah and that's how i delicious. learned to tolerate zucchini right there it's delicious it's delicious it's great okay go back to uh, go back to what you were doing talk to you later okay so chef i don't know if you could hear that or not but no we uh, could not it was um it was it was uh, how jackie still makes her zucchini fries today and uh, so like in anything fried, it's probably the secret is in the batter because we know what a zucchini tastes like. Well, yes and no, because no? a Parmesan zucchini fry or what, what Jackie's mom Dot used to do was not battered at all. It was pan fried and then cheese on top and melted in the oven. So oh. it's a little bit of a bastardization of the whole idea. What 
It's almost like a poutine. <laughs> what Allie Krieger says in the Washington Post is, so I think is what you and I are more used to doing, which is you take your zucchini uh, sticks that you've made uh-huh. out of the zucchini or wedges or whatever it is. You flour them. You egg them. Yep. Uh, I make a little breadcrumb batter out of panko, 50% sure. panko, yep. 50% shredded Parmesan. And then I use, like, like my uh, out of my line of spices, the pizza spice or the veggie spice or something like that to spice up my breadcrumbs. And then you're in a generous amount of olive oil and butter. I like... Uh, oh, you put butter in your Yeah, I use oil. plenty of olive oil, and then I'll add a dollop of butter because I like when the butter, it fries hard enough, the butter, the way in the butter browns a little sure. bit and adds another layer of flavor. Uh, so you can't put it in when the butter hasn't bubbled, the moisture hasn't bubbled away. Of course, yeah, yeah. You have to let the butter kind of bubble up and dry out a little and bit. And this is all medium heat, not very high yeah. heat. and so then you put your zucchini in, and then you pan fry, or what, what the Washington Post says to do is, you know, in my mind, what I would do at this point if I was going to just oven bake them, I don't like the idea of going dry. Yeah. You could bake them. There's plenty of water in the zucchini, sure. and the, the crust will kind of, you know, a little bit of olive oil. But well, if what you do you mean want, by you dry? Can, a lot of people just throw them in the oven like that. So your cheese is your fat and your moisture. Oh. Right? No. And that's too dry for me. Well, it's gonna I mean, be- it's low-fat nonsense, blah, blah, blah. But if you were to take a can of spray avocado oil or spray olive sure. oil... And just spray them all. You don't have to drench them. Yeah. It's, but I do like a little bit. And this works in the, you know, my daughter still has that air fryer uh, that so many people have today. And I, I have it. <laughs> I like how you say she still has it. Well, Why would she I not have it? Well, blah, blah, blah. I don't, it's just, <laughs> when I go to her house, you know, I try to help do the dishes or whatever I can do because she's got the new babies. And, you know, this air fryer is just taking up all this space on the counter. And she doesn't have a lot of counter space. And it just makes me a little twisted. Yeah, but she that uses it. oven sitting right there. She uses it every day. Well, not the day I was there. She wasn't using it. <laughs> anyway, so then you just roast them in a high oven, and right. or you can pan fry them and then roast them in a high oven. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very common using. I mean, zucchini are proliferous in the summertime for sure, and to use them many other ways besides raw or besides grill is definitely you know fry is the next step. And when we say fry, we don't mean like. One gallon of oil, we mean like, you know, just about an inch of oil in your pan. So your zucchini, it kind of semi-submerged into the oil. And then you flip it over and cook and fry the other side. So it's not that much olive oil. And also, when you're done, you put on a paper towel quickly. So then the draining occurs of the olive oil that's on the outside. And then you'll find. Yeah, I mean, but you can't leave them on the paper towel. No, no, Honestly, no. Just, you have to put them onto like a cooling rack or something. Correct. Or else they sog out. Right. Yeah. The, the, the dough will f- steam out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but it's a quick operation. But it's just, you know, a little bit on the paper towel. And then you have wonderful zucchini fry. And there's nothing wrong with having those. And cheese or no cheese, you know, you, you choose you on that. You can't have no cheese. Well, oh my you God. could have no cheese. That's blasphemy. You could do... Uh, How do you have a Parmesan zucchini fry without cheese? Because, you, because it depends on what you serve with it. I mean, to me, I love to have a nice salsa verde. This time of year, I make a lot of salsa verde because mm-hmm. I got so much herbs in the backyard. So it's easy. You blend the whole thing. Leftover, I usually have half lemon and half lime because of cocktails prior, prior or whatever that's left in the fridge. Those are the perfect items to squeeze into your salsa verde, little salt, pepper, put all that together, and use your fries to dip into that. Mm. So I think you're making a good point here is that the fries, zucchini fries, 
while they would be delicious with a plate of sliced uh, barbecue lamb or blah, 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 they also make a great appetizer oh, on their absolutely. own. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a, I mean, to me, I think it's a, an appetizer more than yeah. a side garnish. I don't normally think of that as a side garnish as much as I think of it as an appetizer. Uh-huh. The same thing with eggplant, you know, fried eggplant. I usually use that as an appetizer with some hummus or baba ganoush or whatever, some garnish that can be a dip sauce to it. A dipping sauce to it, mm-hmm. or even some, you know, fish sauce or you know, vinegar or some kind. It's always a delicious thing, right. and that goes well with zucchini as well. The Ali uh, oh, says in her comments uh, that she likes to take uh, a spoon and seed the zucchinis. Uh, oh, if you're using the small zucchinis that are no more, to say, than six inches long and maybe an inch in diameter. I don't see any reason to do that. Do you? No. I mean, if you're using those no. big watery ones, that's a little different. Yeah. I probably wouldn't do this dish with those. Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> if you need to seed your zucchini, it's already overgrown and it's going to render a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Frying those is not the best. That, uh, to me, that's another thing. When you're frying zucchini, take the young one. Don't take the, you know, the old grandpa that's been sitting in the garden for a month. So if they look like me, don't do it? Yeah. If they look like me, don't do it either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you want to... You know, you, you want to take the small one because mm-hmm. they're the best. They don't have as much water in it, and I think they do the best frying. You know, the old one are made to do other things. Um, actually, the old one with water, grilling is a better idea because grilling will be much higher heat and will sear faster. So you will go, you will get your char on your zucchini right away. You won't lose as much of the zucchini. But frying with a, a watery, like cucumbers, you know, it's very hard to fry a cucumber only because there's so much water in it. You know, it doesn't do a good fry. Another opportunity is to take that uh, zucchini, the smaller, firm zucchini, put it on a mandolin on not quite paper thin, but almost paper thin, and slice, 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 right? And you end up with this big pile of really thinly sliced zucchinis. uh, And then you simply deep fry them. Yeah. And then when they're out of the fryer, and you got to be careful, right? You got to you got to deal them like cards. You got to right. deal them individually so they don't stick together, right? Uh, and then you pull them out of there, and you salt them like French fries, and you parmesan them like uh, parmesan popcorn or yeah. parmesan zucchini. You know, uh, it, in that scenario, you want to use the powdered parmesan. Right. You don't want the stuff that is so big that it won't stick to the zucchini. It's also a great garnish to you know this time of year. Uh, Kathy, actually, my wife, reminded me the other day by asking for one <coughs> to do a, um, a raw tomato sauce. You know, in, in, a, in a summer when the tomatoes are so abundant and beautifully and usually way ripe, you know, just diced tomato with capers and uh, basil and chopped shallots or onions, whatever you have, <coughs> make that into a raw salad and then put the fried zucchini on top of that is a really delicious combination. That is a good combo, chef. Yeah. That works well. Wow. <laughs> Sounds delicious. What time is dinner? <laughs> Soon as I make it. All right. Uh, coming up next, Molly Anderson, our uh, pastry chef over at the Dahlia Bakery, is going to walk across the street and join us to tell us about how she made those delicious cherry mochi donuts. Can't so wait. our mochi donuts are a little different over there, right? So they're right. non-fried. Right. They're baked, uh, kind of like a butter mochi, uh-huh. and so gluten-free, and they're, we have them in all sorts they're of flavors. Delicious. They're delicious, but this one struck me, so I'm looking forward to that on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM.
We have some carrots and zucchini, some lettuce and zucchini, tomatoes and zucchini and some peas. We have some cabbage and zucchini, some onions and zucchini, some pepper and zucchini and some bees. We have some parsley and zucchini, some broccoli, zucchini, mushrooms and zucchini and some greens. Alfalfa and zucchini, cauliflower and zucchini, celery and zucchini and some beans. Back in the kitchen on the Hot Stove Society Show, right here at the Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. If you ever want to join us for a staycation, there's beautiful rooms. We got breakfast downstairs, pizza and bakery across the street. That's right. Matter of fact, Cameron just came in with some cherry mochi donuts yep. from the Dahlia Bakery this morning, and we've invited Molly Anderson, the chef over there, to come over and explain why they are so darn delicious. <laughs> so, Molly, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, can you first explain what our mochi donut is? Uh, so mochi donuts are uh, gluten-free. They're made out of like a sweet rice flour. Uh-huh. Um, and ours are a little bit different in that they're baked instead of fried. Um, so you get kind of like a thicker, chewier texture versus if you fry it. If you fry a mochi, it kind of blows up a little bit, right? It's yeah. Like, it just leaves it like a little hollow a little in the sticky, center. yeah. Um, and you don't get as much of the chew, I feel like. Yeah. These right. are kind of dense all the way through, and you get that, like, really nice, chewy, mochi texture all the way to the center. Right. And so ours are baked, and then they come out. And they, uh, it's just like, we're just talking, like, butter mochi right now. It's just like our, our version of a cake donut. Yep. Uh, and then uh, you just put a little icing on top, right? What do you make the icing out of? Yep. The icing is typically powdered sugar and... Um, some sort of liquid, so sometimes it's coconut milk, sometimes it's a fruit puree or something of that if it's a fruit mochi. But the base is, is powdered sugar and some form of right. of liquid. Right. Okay, so last week the Dahlia Bakery cooked breakfast for our listeners. T- today they all got a Spanish tortilla, some chorizo, and some, some uh, chard that was done with our taco spice. Nice. This week, um, or last week... There was a variety of mochi donuts that mm-hmm. came over, and I happened to get one that blew my mind, which was the cherry mochi donut. Yeah. And, of course, it's cherry season, but I don't even know if you use fresh cherries or not because it's hard to use fresh fruit in a donut like sure. this. So tell me, so we've, we've learned about the basic butter mochi. How do you change it into that? Sure. So we typically make one large batch of the butter mochi. Um, we always have six different flavors, so we'll divide our batter out into six bowls and add a pre-measured amount of whatever our mix-in would be. Okay. So for this one in particular, it's a little bit of cocoa powder, and then we do use fresh cherries. You do? Um, we do. We have a mixture right now from Collins, Family Orchards, and City Fruit. Um, one is a super tart cherry, and the other one is um, a super sweet cherry. Uh-huh. And we process them as they come in, cut them up, and freeze them. And the freezing them kind of prolongs the um, release of moisture into the donut. <clears throat> so, we'll, so, so explain that again so our listeners get that, because that's unique. I so mean, it's not difficult, that, but that's unique. Yeah. So, so you have your cherries pitted, yep. and you chop them up, and then you freeze them. Yep. We IQF them once they are already chopped. Uh-huh. And then... Once we add them to the batter, they'll stay frozen. They'll they'll chill that batter up, uh-huh. which will firm it up enough that they will suspend in the batter. Oh, so they don't and, like heaviness go to the bottom or float to the top? 
Yep. And we bake them right away so they're nice and cold. Uh-huh. And um, that keeps too much of the moisture of the fruit leaking out into the batter. Nice. Because when I, when I tasted it, there was a little moisture around the fruit uh-huh. itself, and that's where that kind of sh- simple syrupy or sugary syrupy is from, right? Yep. It just makes it like a little bit I know. It's almost like you would add a little caramel to it or something. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But it stays concentrated just right around the fruit. It doesn't make the rest of it. No. Yeah, but, yeah because different. I think, I think uh, rice flour is not the same conductor as a regular flour. Right. So it kind of seals it instead of run through it. Yeah. Yep. If you were using regular flour, it would seep right through. Right. Like when you have a wet pie or wet, you know, wet, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Ah, that is an interesting little trick. How did you learn to do that, Missy? It was a lucky guess, Lucky guess, really? (laughs) Uh, We started doing it by just trying to preserve the fruit because Uh we get so much at a time. Sure. Um, But then once we started testing it with frozen fruit, it was very clear that that is... Oh, my God. I can't think of a million things. Yeah, it's so fun. Can you do that like in a blueberry muffin, too, where you would do the same thing? Well, except in a blueberry muffin, you're going to have... The, the flour is different, right? Because your blueberry muffin is... Yeah, but if the fruit is frozen... Yep. Yeah, but once it starts getting hot in the blueberry muffin, it's going wa- to seep through the dough. It's going to stay a little bit more wet, right? If you hold it, but if, yeah, you're, yeah. if you're making it fresh and scooping it and baking it right away, it'll work the same. Oh, yeah. All right, so now Ooh. you've got your chocolate cherry batter. It's going into your ring molds that yep. you use. Uh, they've baked. They're out. Uh, you cool them down, and now we, you had a... A lovely glaze on the top. So, yep. So that's one of the ones where we'll use a fruit puree. So, so do we, you start with the powdered sugar? Yep, we start with the powdered sugar, and then instead of adding like water or some kind of um, milk, we just add in cherry puree, cherry puree. Nice. Oh, so you don't use any liquid, no lemon juice, no nothing in your fondant of sorts. No. Not in this particular one. Right. Um, it's just. Just cherries. Solely cherry juice. Uh-huh. And that's why it tastes so good. Yep. Because it's just cherries. Just and you just make it to, you just add enough to make it so that it's the texture, the moisture level that you want. Yep. Yeah. Thick enough that it'll stay on when you flip it back over. Uh-huh. But not thick enough that it won't stick at all. Right. Well, the, the audience is getting it. Is what do you guys stuck. think? A little thumbs up on the cherry mochi? So the mochi, you can tell, has got that kind of sticky quality. That's what mochi is, right? And that's because it's rice flour and... That's, that's intentional, so as you, you might have guessed. Awesome. Any, uh, what are you coming up for with the next l- round of fruits? You know, we just picked peaches yesterday. Of course, the apricots oh, are pretty much done would be for so us. so good. Oh, yep. my God. Our, so next, our next month when we switch the menu, we'll do a, a peach one. Um, it won't have any glaze. It'll just have streusel, so it'll be like a peach pie. Uh-huh. Um, so we'll treat that the same way with frozen peaches mixed in. But we're still kind of dealing with stone fruits right now. Yeah. We just started the stone fruit pie over there. I love stone fruit. It's my favorite. Blue- Is it? Yeah. Blueberry. Oh. Blueberry would be good, too. That, yep. That's over there right now as well. Mm. When you're making a pie filling, this is off the topic, but um, what is your uh, go-to pie filling? Uh, the other day, we were making one, and we were struggling with whether to use arrowroot, tapioca starch, cornstarch, you know, all that kind of stuff. What's your go-to th- thickener in a pie filling? Uh, typically cornstarch. Cornstarch. And the one we use right now is actually a modified cornstarch. It's called clear gel. Mm-hmm. So you use it with fruit-based pies. It doesn't really work with any kind of dairy. But with fruit-based pies, it keeps your pie filling like crystal clear. Right. It's so shiny, and it doesn't leave it kind of like murky like cornstarch would. 
Um, but it's the same texture as cornstarch, and it works the same. Right. Because sometimes, to me, cornstarch gels a little too much. Mm-hmm. I just tasted a bit, a bit of that donut, mm-hmm. and the last bite I had was cumin. Is there cumin in there? Nope. Oh, cumin what's on your the, brain, chef. Wow. That's not great. <laughs> what's, what's the uh, spice in there? Is there a spice? No. It's just cherry and chocolate. Okay. Well, I thought I discovered something. and uh... Well, maybe when uh, Chef cut him over there, maybe there was cumin oh. on the knife or something. No? Huh. Don't know. I just tasted mine, and you're, you're out to lunch, Chef. <laughs> <laughs> Up to breakfast for now. So good. Thank you, Molly, for sharing your secret. This is delicious. Secret on frozen fruit. Thank you. Uh, and that anyone could do it, uh, depending on what you're making. If you've got something <clears throat> that's super watery or that you're trying to keep suspended in animation within the... Your, your pastry your dough so that it doesn't float to the top or drop to the bottom that's one way to do that super cold frozen fruit that doesn't mean you, you still have to prep the fruit you're not buying somebody else's fruit you still yeah, have right. to do the process thank you Molly Anderson chef thank from you Medallia so much. Bakery thank you. Uh, we've got another full hour to go we're excited about that we're going to talk about our favorite kitchen knives hatched <coughs> chilies from Charlie's Produce elevated coleslaw and of course we're going to play rub with love food for thought tasty trivia that's all in the next hour stop stove society show 97.3 fm We're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, hour number two. Thank you so much for joining us here today. We're excited to be here with the Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle. It is, the city is so busy right now. It's, it's crazy busy. Um, and there is work going on everywhere, so traffic is yeah taking twice as much. Yeah, including Ooh. up at the pass where I was yesterday. So coming back from the farm with a load of produce, Oof. lots of construction on Highway 90. Uh, chef... Yes. We often get asked here at the hot stove, what is your favorite knife? We do a knife class here. If you ever want to take a class at hot stove, just go to hotstovesociety.com. Look up. We have coconut cream pie classes, knife classes, how to break down a chicken class. You know, lots of individual classes like that. But, uh, of course, the chef knife, typically 8 or 10 inch, comes up every time, right? So let's just put that aside and and assume you have one of those. Assume that that is a knife that is available in your kitchen. Where do you go from there? I have my favorite knife in my kitchen is an old antique, old antique, but they go together, I guess. Is it um, older than you, Chef? Uh, yes. And it's a wood handle round. Uh-huh. It's from, actually from Portugal. I bought it in a, in a store one day. I saw it and I was like, oh, I used to have one of those when I was apprentice. The blade is one of those blades that, um, you know, it's, um, what's that metal that stains? Uh, carbon. Carbon. Mm-hmm. So it's a carbon blade. Two pass on the steel, it stays sharp all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's my favorite knife. To, you know, I have, at home, my knives are hanging on a magnet, um, just like you, Tom. It's hanging in my kitchen. My knives are hanging on the magnet um, holder. It's always the first knife I grab for everything. Uh-huh. Whether it's a big job or and then I go, no, I should get a chef knife. <laughs> <laughs> but I grab that one always first. <clears throat> and it's always sharp. And it's, I mean, like, I, I was using it yesterday thinking about how great that knife is because... I had some overripe tomato, and I was trying to cut them, you know, in big chunk to put in the salad. You couldn't get through the skin. I was right through it. No, I was. Oh, you went. You I did went get through right it. through yeah. it, and I was like, you know, it's what a knife should be like. Mm-hmm. 
the most important part about the knife is not the name of the brand or the brand of the knife. It's the fact that it's sharp. That's what makes a knife so great. If your knife is sharp, you just go right through it. Well, here's my dilemma, chef. Uh, I am the worst knife sharpener in the, of all chefs. Oh, you are? Yeah. You know, a lot of chefs are pretty good knife sharpeners. I think I'm a pretty uh, I'm, good chef. I'm the worst. So I like a serrated knife. And in my line of knives, which is pretty much sold out, the only thing I have left are some boning knives and some of our chef, our, our eight-inch serrated knives, the bread knife. In our set of knives, uh, my serrated knife it's got about a half inch to three quarter inch blade on it. So a lot of serrated knives are an inch or an inch and a quarter right, wide. Right. And it takes, in my mind, some of their usefulness away. It's good for slicing sure. bread right. uh, or something big, but it takes away any sort of intricate work. So I love my serrated bread knife. Uh, it's about uh, eight inches long and about, like I said, a half inch to three quarter yeah. wide and a nice serrate. So with the serrate on it, it stays sharp all the time. I well, mean, you, uh, pretty much. I happen to sharpen my serrated knife all the time, too. Uh-huh. And you have people, to? People are very surprised by that when I take... You just do the one side. I go then. to their house and I go, your bread knife sucks. It's like it couldn't even cut well, bread if you wanted to. that's one way not to get invited back, chef. Yes. Yeah. And then I take it and run it on the steel and they go, oh, you're sharpening that? And I go, yeah. of course you're sharpening. It's a knife. And they're surprised by running it on the steel. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You run your sharpening knife, your bread knife onto a steel for a couple of minutes... You're going to have a very sharp bread knife after that. Hmm. Beware. I would just buy a new knife personally. So. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I love well, we that need, for... We need both. We need people like you and me. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I love that for tomatoes because yeah. uh, my knives are always so dull that I can't even get through a tomato. So I use my serrated. I use it for sectioning uh, oranges uh, Yeah, because it's got a small enough blade I can get in on each side of the, the segment. The segment. And then uh, once I get a couple segments out, I can just make the U-turn at the bottom and come go down one segment sure. and up the next side of it. And I have beautiful citrus supremes. Uh, so, you know, I just, for some reason, if I had to choose, I can take my chef knife and do some of the pairing jobs right. that you might need, you might think you need a pairing knife for. But if, if you're going to limit my kitchen to three knives, it's going to be the chef knife, the bread knife, and then what? Well, my little knife is... Well, that's your second knife. What's your third knife? Anything... Well, my third knife would be my butchering knife because I, I love... Like a boning knife, you mean? Yeah, like a boning knife. Uh-huh. You know, and a sharp one again. Uh, because I think, I, you know, very often I buy a whole piece, like whole chicken, you know, big big piece of meat and I'm going to need to butcher down or cut down. And that's... Those would be my three knives in the kitchen. So in the, the boning knife category, there's considered a flexible boning knife or a stiff boning knife. Do you, because the, the flexible one is for smaller critters, right? right? right. So you can get in and around the joints. <laughs> and the, the stiff boning knife is more for beef or veal or... So, bigger, so, bigger piece, yeah. So what, of the two, which would you have well, in your I house? If I only have one to pick, I'm going to pick the hard one because hard I, can, one. I can do both job with the hard one because I'm used to it. If you're not quite used to it, I would refer to the flexible one because it's easier to manage to, to butcher around... If you don't do much butchery, I would recommend the flexible one because mm-hmm. I think it can help you go around. But because, I, I mean, you know, we have enough experience butchering stuff, I don't mind having the hard one. I mean, I can do it with the hard one. So if I have to only pick one, I'll pick the hard yeah. one. Uh-huh. But most importantly, again and again, run it through the, sh- through the, through the steel a couple of times so then it stays sharp. Now, a knife that I just don't, it's in my kitchen, I can see one over here at the hot stove, the cleaver. I just don't use a cleaver much. And I know some people use it like a meat hammer. Uh, other people use it just when they're cutting in their whacking big bones. 
I have uh, seven you, cleavers in my house. You have seven cleavers? I have a pot rack in my oh, kitchen. Oh, it's a decor. Yeah, I, yeah. it's a, it's a antiques that I yeah. bought over the year. Mm-hmm. I rarely use them. Yeah. Because I don't need to break bones. Right. I mean, I use them in the restaurant when we had veal bones and, you know, things like this. But at home, not really. Yeah. <clears throat> it's rare that it comes to use, but it's nice to have a whole set of... It really freaks people out when they come to your house and see seven cleavers hanging. They go... Maybe right. we don't want to mess with the this barber guy. of Seville, right? Maybe in your he's very crazy. Own home. Yeah, and you know, you put them on your mailbox, and it's a good uh, detractor. I wonder who here, lives here. So you sh- come in this house, we butcher everything. <laughs> they stay away. <laughs> up next, we're going to join up with uh, Charlie's Produce. Uh, they couldn't send anyone today, so we're going to do it ourselves. Perfect. This whole show is about you and I today. And you know what? Uh, it's your birthday. It should be all about. We're going to tackle hatch chilies, which are have become. Kind of like a it's go-to. The, I thought it was when the chicken gives a chili. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a funny one there, Chef. When the chicken gives a chili. A hatch a chili. Yeah, I got it. Uh, when we come back, we're going to kind of explore the myth of what a hatch chili is. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I jump up and down and hope you toss me a carrot. I'm going to keep well. We're back in the kitchen on Cairo Radio. We're welcoming our Charlie's partner into this segment. Uh, right now, like from about now uh, to the end of September, is Hatch Chili season. Uh, hatch chilies come from the Hatch Valley. It's a little bit like Walla Walla Sweets, though, right. you know, whereas they're not all grown in Walla Walla anymore, but they still <laughs> carry the name. It's just the same as Hatch Chilies aren't all grown in that valley anymore, but that's where they get their name. Uh, they are similar to an Anaheim uh, chili or a Chamayo chili or New Mexican number six to four chili or uh, New Mex chili, a Sandia. There's lots of different names for them, but I... I think what most people know about is the Anaheim chili. Right. And the Anaheim chili, at least when we grow them personally, it's a little bit like uh, Padrones, right? Oh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Where you can get uh, six mild ones, and all of a sudden you get a couple of heaters. Like Shishido papers. Yeah. Well, Shishido gen- generally are mild, but uh, Padrones can, can have some heaters in there. And same th- thing for me when I try Hatch chilies or, from, or uh, Anaheim chilies. Uh, right. you, you can get a heater once in a while. But generally, they're considered a more mild, mild yeah. chili. Now, the ones from the actual valley, I can't speak to so much because I haven't had them that often. But Charlie's does bring them in. Right. Uh, and uh, the last time I had them, I was up at uh, the Shoreline Town and Country slash Central Market, uh, right about 155th and Aurora there. You just go in uh, to that big shopping center where the Sears was. And they had a hatch chili roaster in the parking lot and, and you don't want to put your nose over that one Woo! Uh, what's cool about them is you know you've seen the corn roasters and it's a little bit the same idea uh, they're in there under flame so they get a nice charred skin there's so many things you can do with that right yeah you, you can, buy them so uh, explain to me you don't just go there and eat it on the spot do you well you could i don't no, no no you're acting like they're a jalapeno and they're not no but they're, but they can be spicy yeah yeah I've had them before. They're, they're delicious. I like their flavor, but you can definitely feel the heat. Yeah, c- certainly. And th- their flavor can, can change, right? It changes from a raw chili flavor to a roasted chili flavor 
just like that. Right. And like, uh, you know, when you're kind of blackening a, a red bell pepper to get the skin off, I don't mind a little bit of that leftover blackening. No. Uh, sometimes people are just really anal retentive about getting every bit of their is, the, the little charred skin off. There is one thing you should never do, and I've seen many people do this. I've seen them in my restaurant and stop them, run them on the run water. Under, I'm wow. like, are you out of your mind? Yeah, you and me both, chef. You're like getting rid of the flavor. The yeah. oil, the, everything is gone. Yeah. The pepper itself is kind of flavor, but the flavor that you just got on the outside, I'm like, yeah, move some of the burn stuff. I get it. But it's okay to keep some. What the heck do you grill it for? Yeah. If you don't want to grill it, stay away from the grill. The <laughs> little pet peeve. But So same thing with these hatch chili. So they go around this kind of uh, merry-go- or Ferris wheel t- type roaster, right. merry-go-round kind of roaster, and they come out charred. And now you've got this charred chili and... There's so many things you could do with it, right? First thing it. that came to my mind was cornbread. Oh, with, yeah. With uh, jack cheese and hatch chilies and make a delicious cornbread. I do this new potatoes, and they have on the market right now those beautiful yellow, round yellow, thin, small. Blanch those, cool them off, and then confit them in olive oil, rosemary, for like two, three hours, very slowly cooked in the olive oil, and then throw in those hatch pepper. Mm-hmm. After you take the potato out of the olive oil, and you can keep that olive oil to do other things the next day. But take the potato out of the olive oil and then toss the chili um, that have been roasted and then chop them and put them with the potatoes. Oh, man. Good combo. And if you're really crazy, you just throw in some cheese on top of that and <laughs> melt that thing together. Woo. The other thing they make is a great um, relleno, like a chili relleno. Uh-huh. So I generally use pasilla peppers. Uh, for chili relleno, because they're a little bit wider and they take a little, bit, they take more filling. Sure. But uh, hatch chili, if you uh, if you don't overcook them, because if you overcook them, they'll fall apart. Right. But if they still have a firm meat texture, you just slit the side, fill it with uh, some sort of refried bean and some grated uh, jack cheese and uh, mm. a little bit of epizote or uh, s- something of that nature, and then seal them back up, uh, bread them with a little flour and uh, egg wash, and then. Or not egg wash, but uh, a beaten egg mm-hmm. with the egg whites that have been folded in so it's fluffy. Uh, and then go from there. You've got to uh, pan fry them into a chili relleno, and it's a delicious combination. You can also chop them down really fine, put them and add them to an aioli. And you have now have a wonderful chili, re- I mean, uh, sto- you get all that beautiful toast flavor into added to the aioli and use that on just about anything cold cut. Oh, a ham Left, sandwich with leftover, a hatch chili leftover, aioli? Mm. Leftover roasted lamb or grilled lamb, you know, sliced super thin, very, very thin, and then put that mayo down, and then a little avocado, put the lamb right on top of that. All right, where are we going? Time to eat. Chef has got himself worked up into a lather here. I love when my, when my food is like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Coming sideways. Well, now you can buy them uh, generally in the store. You can buy them by the, uh, like, chopped, roasted right. and chopped in a pint so that if you don't want to do the hard work or if you didn't happen to be there on a the day they're actually roasting them at the market. Uh, then uh, one of my favorites is to take, uh, I love making sausage, right? Mm-hmm. And I use a lot of uh, hog casing for the sausage. So you right. can't use the lamb casing. It's too tiny. Uh, that's what, lamb casing is often used on breakfast sauces, right? It's a really tiny merguez. links from merguez, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I used the hog casing, which is what the bratwurst generally right. are, are filled into. And if you just mix your uh, pork mix, or if you prefer ground chicken or ground turkey, whatever. Uh, but I use pork and mix in little cubes of pepper jack. 
the little chunks of the hatch chili that are chopped up mm. with, and we're talking about in a sausage mix. Let's just say eighty percent is pork, the rest is the uh, cheese stuffing, and yeah. the chilies, and it's trashy good. <laughs> if you know what I mean, you know that's one of my highest elevations. Yeah, it oozes of a food. out, it melts yeah, down. Yeah, when you cook it, and you, yeah, when you cut into it, it's just greasy, trashy, delicious. And uh, you will, you, you you can if you take the make the effort to do this, freeze a few pounds. Yeah, you know, put it maybe just a half a pound, two links into the freezer and, and wrap them individually, or wrap them as two links. Yeah, so they're, and they're ready to go when you're ready. Even easier if you don't want to do the casing, just make little patties and freeze them. You know, just make a little uh, hand do the patty casing. for breakfast. and then Oh, you, it's so fun. You cook them, and then you put your egg right in the middle of it, and you cover the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. In five minutes, your egg is totally perfect, and you break I through think, that. Uh, you know, the, the sausage stuffer is like, you know, for any home kitchen, it's like gilding the lily a little bit. It's like one of those tools that you really don't need, I have but one, it's super fun. And I have a meat grinder, and it's for sale. Anybody wants it? Because <laughs> uh, you just never use it. Well, I have also a KitchenAid. I also have many different other things. I'm like, you know what? My kitchen stuffer, sausage stuffer, I don't use it anymore. Well, it's and it's, I, I saw it yesterday, and I was, I was talking to my son. I was like, I need to sell this because I have no use for this. You can get them for like $79, $89 from the Sausage Man online. Mine is much cheaper than that if you buy and it. And they're stainless steel, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a fun process. And oh, no, if, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I've done it many times, and it's... Yeah. it's Absolutely fun, but not anymore. And now I do patties. I don't want to do the sausage anymore. Really? Yeah. I am so surprised. You seem more committed than that. I am, I am committed. I just don't want to go and buy the casing. That's another thing is the casing does not come in just it's cheap. three inches. It comes in a mile. But it freezes beautifully. It's all it in a salt great. liquor. That means I have to do it again. Boy, chef, I'm so surprised you've gone down this sourpuss. Telling you, the sourpuss kind of route. People are at home; they're going to do exactly like that. So, you can, uh, Charlie's distributes not only to my restaurants, uh, which will be buying the hatch chilies uh, from Charlie's, they also but also Bayview Thriftway, QFC in New Village, Marketplace on Friday Harbor, Met Market on Mercer Island, QFC Redmond, Orcas Island Market, Hilltop Red Apple. Amongst that's just a few of the. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of places that Charlie's, you've seen their trucks around town. Got Charlie smiling as a, I think he's the onion driving the, the truck. The, the, the place you just named, they have local roasting event. Oh, Coming do they? Up. Yeah. Okay, cool. Those are local roasting events. They have, uh, the, on August 11, they have Bayview, Thriftway, QFC, U Village, and Marketplace in Friday Harbor. And then oh, on, I uh, see. Yeah, I got this note from Charlie, and I didn't, uh, I didn't see that part on there. Right. And then the 15, 20 second. And 29, they're going to be on Mercer Island at the Met Market. And then the 18 and 19, they are QFC Redmond, Orcas Island Market. And the 25th on the Hilltop Red Apple. Really fun. Yeah. Uh, Charlie keeps the roasters down at his warehouse for these folks. So the one time a year they get pulled out. Perfect. You're listening to us on the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Up next, it's Elevate Your Coleslaw on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Orange. Orange. But would you like the sauce in the salad or the sauce on the side? The sauce in the salad or the sauce on the side? The sauce in the salad or the sauce on the side? The sauce in the salad or the sauce on the side? All right, we're back. It's the Hot Stove Show. 
I think I forgot to mention our team. Uh, Sean McFadden is here, the technical director here in the studio. Uh, of course, I've been, uh, until we find our next producer, I've been kind of producing the show in Pamela's absence. Uh, Liz has joined the team. Yeah, Liz She's is making sure good. our show sheets are up to date. And uh, Annie and her team uh, does breakfast uh, right here in the studio if you happen to join us live. I'll remind people that Charlie sells hatched chili year-round in their Correct. salsa and in the freezer case at the grocery stores. So at some of them, probably not all of them. Uh, and the other one thing I wanted to remind you, fun fact-wise, is that the heat is in the seeds is not true for hatch chili. So I didn't know that. Did you know that? Oh, uh, no. Yeah. It comes from the capsian, the veins in the chili that you see when you open the chili pot. So no matter what, you can escape it. No matter what. Yep. And the skin holds the heat in. After roasting a green chili, there is a dark-colored peeling on the outside of the pepper, and uh, that's what holds the heat in. I didn't... Maybe I should read more of my show notes when, when I'm doing this. Okay, let's make some coleslaw. I like how you read them after, though. That's I good. <laughs> uh, I happen to think that our coleslaw at Seatown, which is our little seafood restaurant on the corner of Virginia and Western Avenue, so the very north end. We're not literally in the Pike Place Market. We're just across the street uh, in front of that brick circle. That, uh, I think to most people it's considered... Yeah, but the Pike Place Market doesn't. They don't like it when we say we're in the Pike Place Market, so we don't. No, you're right uh, next to it. Right. But anyway, so we do lots of fish and chips and lots of, of you know, halibut, all sorts of different seafoods. And then Etta's, our, our restaurant right next door, does more burgers and chicken wings and, and a barbecue. So we have a nice little combination of I like foods. how you call it Etta's. It's not called Etta's, Tom. It is called Etta's. Is it? Yeah. Well, it's a big mountain. Well, it's called Etta's Big Mountain. Oh, Edda's Big Mountain. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize you kept Edda's in it. Except somebody smashed our sign this last week. Oops. So, $13,000 sign. Boom. <sighs> yeah. Senseless violence, chef. I know. <laughs> Ta- Happens Ta- everywhere. I, I watched the local news uh, last night for the first time in quite a while. Wow. Terra There's Plata. stuff happening everywhere. I mean, people always say, well, I won't go to downtown Seattle. Well, give me a break, man. There's stuff happening everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I was going to say in the same loop, uh, Terra Plata, somebody scratched their windows all of them. Yeah, nice. It's a restaurant that's got tons of windows. Yeah, it's like, that's $100,000 right there yeah, I mean, to try and replace kind of, those. It's kind of crazy, man. It's like, All right, let's make coleslaw. Yeah, coleslaw. Uh, by so, the way, not to uh, tune new own horn, but um, I actually was, was at Ella with Kathy um, a week or two ago, uh-huh. uh, actually two weeks ago, and we stopped there, and that was my, my taste of the week, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, was that slow because it's, I was very surprised by to me, what I liked about it was it was crispy. Okay. It was not too sweet. Okay. And it was, um, the dressing was light. It was not like heavy mayo, heavy everything. It was super light and delicious. I would say then it was my favorite taste of slaw, summer slaw. Uh-huh. So oftentimes we think about coleslaw being that kind of mayonnaise base. You see it in the deli counters of all the groceries. It's just this kind of, you know, it's, it's a, a laugh to think that you're eating vegetables because you're really eating a big pile of mayonnaise. Yeah. Uh, and so ours is a little bit different. And I think it came in my head. Uh, I didn't develop this recipe down at, at Seatown. But in my mind, when I love coleslaw, I like that vinegary slaw that my grandma used to make where she used to find and dice the cabbage. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking, you know, uh, eighth inch, quarter inch shredded, or not shredded, but chopped yeah. cabbage. And then apple cider vinegar, yeah. salt, pepper, and a little bit of honey. And that yeah. was it. 
And that is the slaw that I grew up on. And then, of course, you know, I have an affinity for KFC. Sure. So I like their slaw. And they their dressing on kind of is a mayonnaise but it's been on it long enough that it's watered out so it doesn't come across that thick, sticky way. Right. So at Seatown, uh, Chris down there has, has uh, taken slaw, in my mind, to a whole new level. And uh, I really kind of attribute some of it to Vietnamese cooking because of the herbaceousness of Vietnamese. You know, when you, right. when you go out, you, you get... Big pieces of Thai basil and mint and dill and lettuces you know, and yeah, parsley. yeah, all sorts of things that are just kind of left whole and very scrumptious, very delicious. Right. Uh, when you get it, you like in your mouth, you're thinking, "Oh my god, I just ate something really pungent and, and tasty." So this slaw is shredded cabbage, mm-hmm. really thinly sliced, shredded purple cabbage, right? Shredded carrots. Not a lot of raw onion. A lot of slaw to me has too much raw onion in it for right, me to, right. to like. Um, so it's got a little bit of green onion. Uh, it's got mint, basil, dill, uh, lots of herbs. And then I think our secret is that the dressing comes across right as super uh, light. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it sweet and sour because there's very no, little. No, there no. is a little sugar to balance it. You find in, in most Asian cooking is balanced with uh, sweet sour, uh, right, a, right. Sh- some sort of sugar element. So down there we use honey as our sweetener, uh, tons of lime juice, right. tons of rice vinegar, and our secret ingredient is fish sauce. And that gives you that umami quality about it that doesn't come, you, you would never know. Yeah. You would never know what's in there. So, uh, and, and by the way, I had this with fish tacos. That was sensational. Good. I mean, it really was. I was like, this is what, this is, I don't eat junk food, as you know. Mm-hmm. I just, I wasn't raised It's with one it, of the so charming aspects of you, Chef. I don't, have a, a, I don't have a taste for it because I don't have a memory to yeah, it. Yeah, I grew up on it, Chef. Yeah, and yeah. I understand that. Yeah. You know, there's stuff I grew up on that you probably wouldn't dig very much. I know those little baby eels you talk about. Yeah. That your mother used to poach and serve you. Oh, she used to make them this disgusting. But <laughs> I make them really good. But anyway... The, the, the fish taco, was, it was simple. By, by the way, too, I thought it was too much fish, but you say no, yeah. but I think it's a lot of fish. But three fish taco and that beautiful slaw, I was so full when I was done, mm-hmm. and I was so satisfied. This is how you should eat that kind of food. It's not heavy. It's not, it didn't feel like I was eating all fried and heavy mayonnaise stuff. Mm-hmm. It was very nice. So... Yeah, because our fish tacos, unlike some, you know, we griddle our fish and don't deep fry it. And so it doesn't come across as right, right. being heavy. But getting back to the slaw, have you made slaw with any other base other than cabbage? Do you use like a broccoli slaw or do you, do you make slaw in any? Not too much. No, I think, I think cabbage is what comes to mind when I see a cabbage. Mm-hmm. First thing that comes to mind is a slaw. Because I'm like, how, I mean, in the summertime, it's a slaw. In the wintertime, it's a braise. That's how I think of cabbage. Uh-huh. You know, what's beautiful is, you know, quartered cabbage into your pan, your roasting pan with the meat, the chicken or the beef or whatever you're doing with that together with a little bit of moisture on the bottom, some seasoning and some fresh or some dry herbs, and then put that in the oven and bake the whole thing up. Uh-huh. And then it comes out a couple of hours later and everything is beautiful and braised. And- do you use, when you do that, I mean, we were talking about slaw, but if we, when, <laughs> when you do that, are you using Savoy cabbage or are you using a regular, just a head of green cabbage? Just a regular cabbage. Yeah, because I love Savoy cabbage. In oh, that Savoy kind is of very delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the slaw. Back to the slaw. Uh, so I nothing for I don't you. really use much other than, I think to me, a, a slaw is cabbage. 
That's the way I look at it because I think of it as could be kohlrabi. I mean, different versions of slaw, right? But right. and obviously same family as cabbage, but kohlrabi's Brussels sprout slaw. I mean, people don't think about Brussels sprouts if you put them on a mandolin uh, raw. Sure. The the acid in the lime juice cooks it almost immediately. It's not right. something that you have to worry about that it's that it's not cooked or that it's going to be tough because right, right. on the mandolin they just get uh, thinly shredded and it. It makes for an easy way to kind of use up little bits and pieces yeah. out of your refrigerator vegetable, vegetable we, drawer. We were talking earlier with zucchini. Mm-hmm. That would make a great slaw if you just julienne, you know, pass it through the mandolin and uh-huh. then use that zucchini into kind of like a salad idea where you mix that with a little bit of onion. I would put a little onion to contrast, to have a nice contrast of texture mm-hmm. and, and flavor. And then do the same kind of dressing where you use the fish sauce and the... And uh, maybe a little bit of olive oil with that fish sauce. So you have, an, again, another contrast of flavor, a little honey, and mix the whole thing together. And yeah. you'd have a wonderful flavor. The uh, slaw that you get, I, I call it a slaw, but it's really almost just pickled vegetables on a, a banh mi. Oh, yeah. You know, with the, the jicama carrots, the, and the carrots. Mm. Uh, yeah, sometimes cucumber. Uh, that's just been maybe quick marinated or that's quick a nice, pickled. Uh, makes a, nice a really slaw. nice uh, addition because so often you see slaw on a pulled pork sandwich, you know, that southern slaw, and oftentimes it's too sticky for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that banh mi garnish is a winner for sure because it can go on just about anything. Right. I mean, it's, who doesn't like pickled carrots and pickled ikema? Let's, let's see. Who doesn't like pickled carrots? Who doesn't carrots like and, it? Uh, yeah, not, nobody in our house. No? Okay. Now we just made the best slaw in town. Here we go. From Seatown. Go, we'll go to Seatown and just have it. Up next, it's Rough with Love, Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia, right here on Cairo Radio. We're going to pluck somebody from the audience to see if they can challenge uh, you for the title. Here we go. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I remember sugar, not much of a looker. Oh, but what a dream I remember coffee flavored Hogan does sweetening my lips Mac and cheese, Mac, Mac and cheese uh, Can I have some please? Mac and cheese, macaroni and cheese uh, Please, baby please. All right, we're ready to wrap up this show with our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs, my very own line of spice rubs and sauces made right out there in Ballard. Uh, they create uh, options for new flavor profiles. You can find them at uh, grocery stores all over the country and locally in markets like the town and country markets, PCC, Whole Foods. There's a new Met market opening right up by us in Crown Hill. Oh, wow. Uh, right there at 85th and 15th. I'm sure you'll be able to find them there. South Sound. You can visit Harbor Greens and University Place. Or Tacoma Boys near the Narrows Bridge, amongst many others, like Bartels and all sorts of places. You know, we're in 5,000 retailers around the country. Yes. Can't name them all. Okay, let's play. You know, on this show, Chef, uh, you each get five questions. We have Leslie we have and Les- Beth and from Beth. our uh, audience have uh, jumped up to the mic, uh, sort of willingly. <laughs> and I give you the questions. You get them right or you get them wrong. If, right. you, if you get them all wrong, you have to walk around with a loser L on your forehead. I get one made just I, for me. Oh, really? Good. <laughs> so that, the, the one I used is with a Sharpie pen on your forehead is starting to wear off finally. Yeah. So, yeah. 
going to redo a new one. And so, uh, and then if you win, you get to take a stroll through our gift shop and pick out three spice rubs of your very own to take home with you. So we're excited about that. All right, that's uh, tough. Let's we'll, start with you, Chef. We'll show them. Go ahead. I told you, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm making them more difficult this week. I was embarrassed by how easy let's they were. Let's see how difficult they are. Similar to a Manhattan, but with scotch whiskey instead of bourbon or rye, what classic cocktail is named after a Scottish hero of the 17th century? Braveheart? I'm just kidding. Uh, that could be one. That could be. Maybe that's what it is. Could be. Okay, Braveheart. You're wrong. <laughs> it's the Rob Roy. Oh, I should have. The Rob that. Roy. I think we even have a bar in our town named after That's it. right. Yeah. Frank Weisner, the owner of Colorado Cripple Creek Brewing, invented a dessert in 1893, so about the year you were born, Chef, after being inspired by the nearby snowy peaks. He named this two-item combo the Black Cow. Today, it is better known by what name? I had these all growing up. You can still get them at certain fast food joints in town. Okay, so you said two things, and that could possibly not relate to when you grew up, and fast food. So Root beer float. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you I've just had to that. try a little harder. The Lord of the Rings. What is the elvish name for the traveling food known as 11 bread or whey bread in common speech? Brioche. Brioche. The You're very bread. close. You said unleavened, so I'm just joking. I didn't say unleavened. No, you said leavened bread. Leavened, yeah. So brioche, I'm going to just say brioche, but no, I have no idea. Ah. Lumbas, the African gray variety of what tropical bird will selflessly help each other to find food? Do you know? You know? Parrot. A parrot, exactly. They also like to eat Cheerios off counters. Ah, she wants to have a parrot is my guess. Yeah. Sister-in-law does. Oh, that's what you know, okay. Okay, you're 0 for 4, Chef. (laughs) Yeah, it looks Two like weeks ago felt really good, didn't I it? I know. <laughs> Can we rewind the tape? Here's another one right up your alley. What brand of chips has inspired an internet community to search for an individual chip that looks the most like the Pope's hat? Yeah, thank you, Dorito. Good job! With just a little bit of help from our friends, Chef uh, is, is saved from the embarrassment. One out of five. Of an, <clears throat> Of a uh, oh my god, Ofer. Leslie, you're next. Okay. Leslie, how do you feel, do you feel about you feel this now? now? Well, those questions were quite difficult. So, yes. <laughs> how many of the answers did you know? Zero. Well, oh. I knew the last one, kind yeah. of. You knew the last one. Was a guess. I would have guessed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. This one's uh, from the uh, African continent. What is the name of the sour and spongy flatbread traditionally made out of teff flour, which is the national dish of both Ethiopia? And Eritrea. Right. You're giving me that look like you don't know. Injera. I-N-J-E-R-A. Injera. I would and never typically guessed. it comes out, it's like a little spongy bread and you kind of grab food with it. And it's very sour. And the food is very spicy. You've got to be careful. Leslie is 0 for 1. Uh, what is the name of the fermented dairy drink that historically was the liquid left behind after churning a solid object out of cultured cream? So, the, so they've churned the, the butter out of cultured cream so what's left over buttermilk yes indeed good job good job nice. i like how, i like how she said it so quietly buttermilk <laughs> thank god we have an audience huh <laughs> thank god what is the name of the small cheese flavored crackers produced under the nabisco brand and first introduced in 1955 
Cheez-Its. Yay! Cheez-Nips. They're not talking about Cheez-Its, but I'm going to give it to you because that's... Oh. Uh, they were produced by Sunshine Bakery. Oh. A Massachusetts candy company dating back to 1847 has a, has a divisive flagship candy... I remember Pam gave me this question one time. Uh, with a chalky hard exterior. So Massachusetts, chalky hard exterior. Uh, though often despised, it has proven valuable as long-lasting ration during the Civil War and World War II. So when Terry was fighting. Uh, one flavor of the candy is rumored to emit sparks when chewed or snapped in half. Name the candy or the candy company. Are you a can- you're not a candy eater? I am a candy eater. I just can't. Necco wafers. Remember those? Chef, you might even know this one. The name Chicago is derived from a French rendering of the Native American word Chicawa. Chicawa. Pretty good. Chicawa. Chicawa. What type of food is it? No idea. No clue. Boy, we are stumping Leslie. It's the onion. Oh, it's I was going to say a root vegetable. Yeah, of some sort. She's got two out of five. You need roots five. in a windy city like that, don't you? <laughs> you beat me. You get two out of five. Woohoo! All right. All right, Beth. Nice job. It's Beth. up to you now. Okay, Seems Chef like easy Tom. Pickings These are for you hard right now. questions. Seems like easy pickings. These two have left it wide open for you. She's looking up to the challenge. <laughs> uh, okay, what internationally known chef with the first name Ettore, began his career in Cleveland, Ohio, where I was born, uh, before reaching a level of household fame known by few other chefs in history. He's on very many cans at your grocery store. Yeah, Chef Boyardee. Congratulations. (laughs) You are one for one. You know that person that whispered that answer to you? My husband. Oh, okay. Celebrating our 42nd anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. Okay, this is a crepe-like batter that is cooked thin and stuffed with fillings such as potatoes, onions, and cheese. Typically forms part of the southern Indian and Sri Lankan diets. What is the four-letter English name for this food? Non. Close. Want to take another? That's non-it. <laughs> non-it, no. Dosa. 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 Third question? Third question. Within five years, when did California become the first U.S. state to legalize medical marijuana usage? Well, then 95. There you go. What a good call. Within five years. (laughs) See? That's a logic question right there. 1996. And uh, fourth question, Chef. What brand name is a syllabic abbreviation of two states in which some of their original potato fields were located. The brand originally inc- included the outlines it's of these. It's Orido. Yes, Orida. You are correct. Oregon, Idaho. Nice job. And then our last question, right, for her? That's right. Okay. Whole milk, lemon juice, and salt are typically the only three ingredients, along with a half hour of time, for making what popular homemade cheese with a name meaning refined in Italian? Ricotta. Nice job. Three out of five. Bravo, Beth. She's a winner. You both, uh, losers and winners, get to shop in our gift shop for three spice rubs of your choice. Well, logically, she didn't lose, Leslie, because she's got two out of five, and I got one, so she actually won. Yeah, well, there you go. There's that. If you want to be part of the show like Leslie and Beth, you can join the community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas & Co., or buy a ticket to join us here in the studio. Of course, that's the most likely scenario. Uh, at the thehotstovesociety.com. The show is produced by the Tom Douglas team. Sean McFadden is our technical wizard. 
And our talented editor who will come into good use today uh, is at Cairo. Sean, don't call me Del Torre. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Yummy hot. Yummy hot.